0: This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive.
1: You're going to love this. Just love it. No, it's not. I'm so scared fall off my chair. Not
2: scared and at I'm all.
1: The
3: yep. Yes,
2: I am stuck in the middle with you. And there's no place I would rather be stuck. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Bradcast. This is your newly expanded Bradcast. This is the Bradcast Uncaged? Unleashed? Radio-free Bradcast? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it's I, Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com, drafted into duty once again right here to be your broadcast media occupying your airwaves right here on KPFK Pacifica, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org and on the RadioOrNot.com network. Glad you could join us here this afternoon at our new time, where we hope to be uh, for, uh, well, for, for the foreseeable future, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific time, every Wednesday afternoon. Lots to cover today, so glad you could join us here. And we may even, with this extended time we now have, we may even be able to get to some of your phone calls, finally, later today. Write down the phone number, Just in case we do have that time a little bit later in the hour, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. That's 818-985-KPFK. Lots going on. Uh, Some breaking news today. Barack Obama has rejected the Keystone XL pipeline for now. That's good. Uh we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I do hope. Uh, last night in Wisconsin, up in the Badger State, some great news. At least those uh you know, in favor of democracy and stuff. More than 1 million signatures. Unbelievable. More than 1 million signatures turned in in Wisconsin. Towards the recall of Governor Scott Walker up there in the Badger State, very cool. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later in the show. Desi Doyen will also be joining us, the lovely Desi Doyen, our producer, and my uh, co-host on the Green News Report. We'll have a little bit of uh, a little bit of Green News Report also later on in the show, and I will uh, in just a few minutes here be joined by Deborah Vagans, the senior se- the senior legislative counsel at the ACLU to talk about something that's near and dear to me. You know, for the last, well, I was going to say last few weeks, but in, in fact, last few months, even in my case, the last few years, we've been talking about this assault on voting rights by the right, by the Republicans who are actually in state after state now, passing laws trying to keep people from voting and make no mistake that's all these laws are about these polling place photo ID restriction laws trying to keep people from voting namely uh... minorities the elderly students urban dwellers you know people who tend to vote democratic and stuff i realize that's a problem for republicans and when they run their own elections as they did a couple weeks ago in iowa in the iowa caucuses despite the fact that republicans in the state house there had called for photo ID restrictions on all voters in regular elections in their own elections when they set their own rules they didn't require any photo ID for any of their own voters and by the way they let them uh, vote on paper ballots that were hand counted in front of all the people et cetera all these things that you know they won't allow for everyone else well in any case, you've got uh, Democrats, you've got progressives now who have been pushing back against these photo ID restrictions, or at least trying to. Uh, the DOJ has rejected South Carolina's attempt to institute a, a voting right, uh, a photo ID bill on the basis uh, that it's a violation of the Voting Rights Act, that it's racially discriminatory, that in fact African Americans are 20% less likely to have the type of state-issued photo ID that's required to vote under this new law. So that's some good news out of South Carolina. Of course, Rick Perry at the Republican debate in South Carolina this week used the opportunity to say uh, that because of that ruling and others, South Carolina is at war with the federal government. How'd that work out last time for South Carolina? Uh, in any case, uh, interestingly enough, though, as I say, uh, Democrats, progressives have been on the defensive about these bills. And I suggest it's now time to put the bad guys on the defensive. I, I've had it. I've had it being on the defensive, uh, as, as Republicans are trying to take away voting rights. Let's put them on the defensive. And sure enough, Incredibly enough, ironically enough, who gave us that opportunity this week? Rick Santorum of all people at the um at the debate in South Carolina on Monday night on Martin Luther King Day of all days, by the way. Uh, it was pretty amazing. He used uh, he he suddenly brought up voting rights out of nowhere, Rick Santorum. He used it as a bludgeon to beat uh, Mitt Romney over the head concerning super PAC ads. but uh, he raised the discussion of felon uh, voting and felon enfranchisement. Now it seems to me if you're eighteen or older and a citizen in this country, you ought to be able to vote period. And, yeah, that means uh, felons, felons on parole, f- uh, felons who are on probation. As far as I'm concerned, felons in jail. But we'll talk about some of the details in a minute. Let's listen to Rick Santorum trying to confront Mitt Romney on, uh, on, on voting rights in South Carolina on Monday.
4: Governor Romney's super PAC has put an ad out there suggesting that I voted to allow felons to be able to vote from prison because they said I'm allowing felons to vote, and they put a a person in a prison jumpsuit. I would ask Governor Romney, do you believe people who who are felons, who served their time, who've exhausted their parole and, and, uh, and, and probation, should they be given the right to vote? Governor Romney?
1: Uh, first of all, uh, as you know, the, the packs that run ads on various candidates, as we unfortunately know I'm in this ca- question,
4: an answer to the question first.
1: We have plenty of time. I'll get there. I'll do it in the order I want to do. Uh, I believe that as, as you realize, that. The super PACs run ads, and, and uh, if they ever run an ad or say something that's not accurate, I, I hope they either take off the ad or make it uh, uh, or, or make it correct. I guess that you said that they they said that you voted to make felons uh, vote. Is that it? That's Is correct. It? That's what the ad says. And, and you're saying that you did.
4: I, well, first I'm asking you to answer the
1: question you, because well,
4: that's how you got the time. It's actually my time. So if you can answer the question, do you believe. Do you believe that felons who have have served their time, gone through probation and parole, exhausted their entire sentence, should they be given the right to have a vote? Uh, This is Martin Luther King Day. This is a huge deal in the African-American community because we have very high rates of incarceration, disproportionately high rates, particularly with drug crimes, in the African-American community. The bill I voted on was the Martin Luther King Voting Rights Bill. And this was a provision that said, particularly targeted Africans African-Americans, and I voted to allow, to allow them to have their voting rights back once they completed their sentence. Governor, no, you have 30 seconds
1: to yeah. respond. Yeah, I, I don't think people who've committed violent crimes should be allowed to vote again. That's my own view.
2: So that's Mitt Romney's own view. Uh, he doesn't think that people who have committed violent crimes should be allowed to vote again. And they went on to, to fight about this a little bit more. Uh, Rick Santorum pointed out that when uh, Mitt Romney was governor in Massachusetts, that his state actually allows people uh, allows felons to vote as soon as they're out of uh, out of prison before they've completed their parole or their probation. Uh interestingly enough, uh, just moments later, and, and this has to be the Freudian slip of the night uh, as, as this uh, discussion went on, listen closely to what Mitt Romney actually
1: says in the next moment in this discussion. My view was people who committed violent crimes should not be able to vote even upon coming out of office.
2: Did you hear that? His uh, view should be that people who have committed violent crimes should not
1: be able to vote when? Play that again, Federico people who committed violent crimes should not be able to vote, even upon coming out of office. Even upon coming out of office. All right, well, we'll
2: chalk that up. We'll chalk that up to uh, Mitt Romney misspeaking about the violent crimes even after coming out of office. But the more important issue here, the more serious subject, is the fact that there are, in fact, some four million Americans who are living and working uh, in this nation, in our communities, but they cannot vote because of a criminal conviction in their past. And uh, as it turns out, I know you'll be shocked to hear that 13% of African-American men have lost the right to vote. 13% of African-American men. That's a rate seven times the national average. And, of course, Latino citizens are also disproportionately disenfranchised because they are uh, overrepresented in the criminal justice system as well. Uh, here to talk about this and uh, a bill that uh, may change this, uh, this uh, frankly, this national shame on a federal level is uh, Deborah Vagans. She's the Senior Legislate- Legislative Counsel on Civil Rights Issues for the ACLU's Washington Legislative Office. She leads the office's civil rights advocacy efforts and develops proactive strategies on federal legislation and executive branch actions concerning racial justice, voting rights, oh, how quaint, education, and the school-to-prison uh, to prison pipeline, uh, and uh, all other sorts of civil rights that, uh, thank the Lord, someone's fighting for this stuff. Uh, hey, Deborah, welcome to the broadcast on KPFK.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today and for focusing on this issue.
2: Well, uh Somebody's got to. Uh, It's amazing uh, how little this is discussed at all. And right now I know that uh, Democrats and progressives are fighting this uh, photo ID business as well they should. But it seems that nobody's out there fighting for the rights, you know, to expand the franchise. Uh, Now, uh, Deborah, explain to me. Um, and, and we'll get in, into the uh, into the bill, the uh, uh, Senator Cardin's bill, in a moment. But explain to me why shouldn't every citizen? Forget about parole, probation, all this stuff. Why shouldn't every citizen, 18 years of age or older, be allowed to vote, even even if they're in prison? A lot of these people are in prison, fa- you know, due to laws that are unjust. That it seems to me they ought to be able to vote against.
0: Uh, you know, it's a very, very good point, and it's a very important issue. You know, our our system allows states to create their own requirements for voting as long as they don't run afoul of, you know, federal constitutional protections. So, you know, you point out this issue about 18, a state couldn't ban someone from voting uh, if they're – Eligible otherwise to vote if they're, you know, over 18, Um, however, the, you know, so they can set some of the eligibility and requirements for voting state by state. However, what the federal government can do is it can pass uniform laws that expand the right to vote in federal elections. And that's what we're trying to do. States can keep their own systems. We hope that as we pass um, federal protections, Mm -hmm. the states will find it burdensome to have two sets of of, uh, election administration laws. But they do have the right to keep them.
2: Uh, They do. And and some uh, states, in fact, I believe uh, Maine and Vermont, do allow all persons with convictions to vote even while they're in jail. Uh, Florida, Virginia, Iowa, and Kentucky – Permanently disenfranchise citizens with felony convictions. So we're talking about, uh, frankly, an unequal system. It seems to me where, uh, if if you're a, a felon who has committed the same crime, whether it's in uh, Florida or Maine, your right to vote in elections is going to be completely different. Move to the next state over, right, and and suddenly you're able to vote for president in 2012.
0: That's right. We we think this is a huge problem. What you're describing is what we call the patchwork of laws. There are, as you said, there are two states where you can vote while you're in prison. There are four states that permanently disfranchise you Mm -hmm. unless you get individual clemency from the governor. And every other state falls somewhere in between. So what we're seeing is, you know, people are being disfranchised differently from state to state, but that even eligible voters, people with no criminal conviction in their past, are sometimes being turned away from the polls because it's confusing. There is widespread confusion among election officials about who is eligible to vote. Are you on probation? Are you on parole? California, for example, uh, probationers can vote, but people on parole can't, and election officials have to know the difference. They have to be able to figure that out. People coming out of provision, uh, out of prison are not notified necessarily you know, from the federal level about their rights. Um, it's confusing. So people are being, even eligible voters are being turned away. So what we want is a federal bright line test that if you have been released from prison, you are eligible to vote.
2: And not only well, there's the, two points come up here, come to mind. I'm speaking with uh, Deborah Vagans, uh, senior legislative counsel for the ACLU. Uh, Two things come to mind. Uh, One, yes, there is confusion. There's confusion for the voters, and there's confusion for the election officials. And uh, we know that some of the election officials actually take advantage of this confusion, as we saw infamously back in uh, uh, 2000, my friend Greg Palast, who publicized this uh, felons list in Florida, where they were knocking people off the rolls simply because their names sounded like someone who had uh, co- committed a felony. Uh, and, and that was, of course, done on purpose. So they were using this system to keep even more people from voting, it, it seems to me. Also, the confusion of the voters themselves. I'm reminded of the story of uh, uh, Kimberly Prude up in... Um, Up in Wisconsin, if I recall correctly, she had a felony conviction some years earlier for uh, writing a bad check. She then was a poll worker in 2004 uh, in Wisconsin and came to learn that she was not allowed to vote because of her, uh, her felony conviction in the past. By the way, she had never served any time in jail. But because she was working as a poll worker, she had voted early, absentee ballot. And uh, when she found out that she was not allowed to do that, Kimberly Prude was actually uh, charged by the Bush administration, Department of Justice, and thrown in jail for a year. And this was after she had alerted officials, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to vote. Can I get my absentee vote back? She was then charged and thrown in jail, Deborah. uh, How often do we see uh, cases like that happen Around the country where somebody votes, they have no idea, they weren't allowed to in a particular state, and they end up uh, going back to jail because of it.
0: You know I don't know how frequently those um cases happen. I think that they're certainly egregious when they do. Um you know there's not a lot of evidence that people are fraudulently voting. I mm-hmm. think that there there are accidents, mis- innocent mistakes that can happen. Um but clearly this was someone who was well-intentioned who was volunteering for our system. Um and what this law would what the federal bill would do would be to stop situations like this. So Even what if it's one time the bill would stop situations like
2: this. So what does the actually before I ask you what this the bill uh Senator Ben Cardin has introduced uh last month uh what it would actually do the Democracy Restoration Act uh explain to me how is all of this constitutional? I appreciate that the Constitution says that uh, states can, you know, determine how to uh, select their own electors for president and so forth, that they have that right. However, don't we also have equal justice under the law? How can it be that it is illegal for one person to vote in one state and that very same person could vote legally? in the next state over how is that uh what happened to equal protection in that particular case
0: right i you know i think it's a very very good point and i and people have made those um cases that made that argument in court so far the argument that is prevailing is that states can set their qualifications for voting and we we do respect that they have the right to do that but there has to be a solution to this problem it is turning away too many people um, that want to be part of our democracy that should be part of our democracy mm-hmm. um, and the 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 federal legislation we're going to talk about the democracy restoration act mm-hmm. as i mentioned allows states to be able to set their rules but we hope that they would follow the the federal guideline that this would set. So
2: it would allow them to set their rules for their own elections that were not federal elections, but uh, this bill would uh, set a uniform law. Explain exactly how that uniform law would change.
0: Sure. Let me explain a little bit. So the Democracy Restoration Act, as you said, was introduced by Senator Cardin um, in December and earlier in 2011 by Representative Conyers in the House. Mm -hmm. And what the bill would do is uh, restore voting rights rights. Uh, for anyone who had been released from incarceration in federal elections. Also, there's a handful of states that actually disfranchise you for misdemeanor convictions as as well. So this would make sure that everyone uh, can vote. Um, it sets a Uniform standard. So if you can present yourself to vote, you can vote. It gives notice once you're leaving prison that you have the right to vote. It sets a a bright line, as I said, for election officials. It streamlines the process. Um, It's it's a relatively Mm -hmm. simple law because it's expanding the right to vote. It's returning. It's restoring this right in federal elections.
2: Uh, You're listening to Brad Friedman on KPFK, speaking with Deborah Vagans of the ACLU about uh, felony Um, re-enfranchisement. Deborah, you you wrote uh, recently, this looks like a last month, at the ACLU blog uh, about the disparity in the state laws and about the fact that it looked for a time... Like, things were getting better. I recall when, uh, the Republican, uh, governor, Charlie Chris, down in Florida, came into power back in, um, I wanna say 2006, I believe. Uh, he re-enfranchised all the felons, and then, uh, the new guy, the new governor, Rick Scott, who replaced him, has now, let's see, uh, re-de-enfranchised <laughs> Uh, all of these folks down there in in Florida, but it looked for a time like things were turning around. Now, uh, you, as you write in the blog, um, let's see, in the 2011 legislative season, we saw a variety of voting restrict, restrictions introduced in more than 30 states, and 16 states advanced measures that would create more barriers to voting, including rolling back of enfranchisement rights in Florida and Iowa. Our uh, We've talked on this show in the past about the effort from the American Legislative Exchange Council to put these photo ID restrictions in place. But what about this uh, enfranchisement? Is is this also an effort coming from Alec to try to take away more uh, more voters' rights in more states?
0: Well, you know, you you frame this in in you know a very interesting way. The uh, you, you're right. Over the last you know decade, decade and a half. We the trend was the easing of criminal disfranchisement laws mm-hmm. uh, across the country, and they were moving forward on a bipartisan basis at the state level. These were bipartisan. Something like between you know i, I written wrote in the same blog that you referred to between mm-hmm. 1997 and 2009, it was something like 16 Republican governors in 12 states. Approved or signed policies that relaxed voting prohibitions in some way for people with um, criminal records. And then, um, and and so we had been very buoyed by that. It was a, a very positive step forward. We have a coalition at the state and federal level of, of, uh, of People from the law enforcement community, people Mm -hmm. from the faith community, people who um, have come together saying that this is the right thing to do. And then what we saw in 2011 is there was this entire wave of voter suppression tactics and rolling back some of these uh, re-enfranchisement rights Mm -hmm. uh, was part of it. It certainly
2: was part of it. Uh, Speaking of the uh, religious community, Dr. Uh, uh, David Shiringa at the Christian Science Monitor just today. uh, He's the president of the Crossroad Bible Institute, founder of the Crossroad Correctional Services, the largest personalized follow-up and discipleship ministry of its kind for people in prison and their children. He writes uh, in the Christian Science Monitor today that, As leader of a prison ministry, I strongly support the Democracy Restoration Act, Because I know that people can be redeemed, yet for redemption to impact the nation, people must be restored to their communities. And restoration requires an opportunity to do that, an opportunity like voting. And uh, he points to uh, Moses and David, both murderers, he says, are notable examples in the Judeo-Christian tradition. But redemption is also a fundamental American concept, One that resonates across all religions and ethnicities. Yet for redemption to impact the nation, people must be restored to their communities. And restoration requires an opportunity. Um, Interestingly enough, by the way, in many states, while uh, you may never be able to vote if you're a felon getting out of jail, um, (laughs) the laws are quite different when it comes to getting your handgun back. The moment you walk out of jail. Uh, This is amazing. Uh, So, uh, Deborah, what is the, uh, Deborah Vegans? what is the uh, path now forward for this federal law? Will this uh, come forward anytime soon? Will this be uh, brought to the floor? Or is this something that at this point we're going to have to wait until after the November elections before uh, either the Cardin bill in the Senate or the Conyers bill in the House ever sees the light of day?
0: sure you know and and one thing i just wanted to say on on david you know his uh he's very courageous and he's a great supporter of this work he's come to washington he's spoken in Briefings that we've helped put together with our mm. coalition partners, and he's talked, he's walked around Capitol Hill with me, to and with other coalition partners. He works with the Brennan Center as well um, to talk about the redemptive value of this, the importance of, of people who have um, come out of prison to be able to participate in the participate in society. Um, so, so um, we think that that was a great um, story that you covered mm-hmm. that you. Just read. You know the path forward for this. We uh, last year, last Congress, we had a. There was a hearing in the House. There was a briefing in the Senate. We, you know, the bill was then reintroduced in this Congress. You know we're thankful for the the debate. I think this debate was a good thing with mm-hmm. um Santorum and Romney. It elevated the profile, which is something you know people are not aware of this problem they i was I was shocked this, that it yeah. came
2: up in this debate at all but yeah. I was delighted yeah. yes
0: and so right now, this is a bill that is um uh I think any election bill, any bill that would federal bill that would expand the right to vote is difficult to pass in an election year unfortunately that 's the truth of it for this or for any other bill, but we keep the, we keep pounding the pavement we keep up the work um we 're laying the groundwork the higher the profile the more people like you talk about this and mm-hmm. candidates talk about this we we think that 's great um, we will push forward we will try you know the arc of of uh, history is long, but it points towards justice, and mm-hmm. we think that this bill will have its day.
2: Oh, I hope you're right. Uh, is there any place, uh, Deborah Vegans, I know that you write over at uh, ACLU.org, uh, is there any place that you can appoint people that they can uh, support these efforts in, in one fashion or another?
0: Sure. Actually, at ACLU.org, we have um, what's called an action on our website that allows you to fill out your name and send a note to your to personalize a note to your member of Congress that says, please support the Democracy Restoration Act and be a co-sponsor of this important federal legislation. So we'd love to send your viewers there to click on that action um, and, and send a note off.
2: Very good. Deborah Vagan, Senior Legislative Counsel at the ACLU, aclu.org. Deborah, thank you for, uh, for carrying on this fight. And I suspect I may be talking to you, uh, quite frequently, uh, over the next few months, uh, in this election year. Thanks for everything, Deborah. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Um, also, this is from uh, Deborah, uh, Deborah, De- David Sharinga's article in the Christian Science Monitor. Uh, and I don't quote from uh, the Bible very often, but he writes We cannot presume that politicians will heed the needs of those who cannot vote. Those who can vote should remember the instructions of Proverbs 31 8. We must speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves. We must be the voice of the voiceless.
3: What is wrong, and the evidence is clear I'm not alone.
2: Fighting for your vote, fighting for everyone's vote. This is the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. We're going to take a quick break. Come back with some green news and uh, the green news report with Desi Doyan and some other things. And your calls if you'd like to get in. Now's the time. 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. These are your public airwaves. Use them before you lose them more than you already have. Brad in on KPFK. Stay with us.
1: If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the... This is John Crumshaw inviting you to join us this Thursday night at 8 p.m. as we hammer out an agreement on
2: improving public education. That's politics or pedagogy this Thursday at 8
1: p.m. All right,
2: welcome back to the broadcast, your extended broadcast, your newly extended broadcast, heard now every Wednesday from 3 p.m. To 4 p.m. Pacific Time on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest and China Lake. Of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org and RadioOrNot.com. Radio Network. I'm Brad Friedman of BradBlog.com, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraker. An all-around swell fellow. Uh, we're going to have some uh, green news. Hey, Des. Hey. Look, it's Desi Doyen. Uh, we're going to get to uh, the green news report in a moment, but want to let you know if you'd like to get in on the conversation on uh, on voting rights and, uh, you know, the, this, this fight not just to re-enfranchise felons, but, of course, this fight uh, to make sure that everyone who wants to vote this year Can vote this year, and that's not going to be an easy fight with these uh, polling place photo ID restrictions that I think a lot of people don't understand. Des, a lot of people think, Oh, this is a great idea. You got to, you know, give a photo ID to get on a plane, you got to give a photo ID to buy a beer.
3: Right. Intuitively, it seems uh, off the top of your head like, hey, yeah, maybe that's a common sense thing, except for the difference between Uh, rights and privileges.
2: Privileges, yes, because uh, voting is a right. Uh, Buying a beer or getting on a plane is a privilege. But here's another little secret that people don't seem to understand. You actually don't need a photo ID to get onto uh, an airplane. They'll ask you for one. But the commercial airlines are not about to turn away 20 million Americans, 20 million potential customers who don't have photo ID. Not to mention the fact that uh, I can't remember the last time I was asked for a photo ID when I bought a beer.
3: Well, that's probably got to do with you not looking like you're under 21 anymore.
2: I was going to say it's because I don't drink much beer. But uh, but thanks for nothing, Des. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Uh, that's, of course, uh, Desi Doyen. She's our producer, and she's my co-host. Oh, did I give the number? Yeah, if you want to get in on this discussion or uh, or anything else that's on your mind, I've got a few more news items we'll come back with after the Green News Report uh, and the big news today about the Keystone XL pipeline which we'll talk about with Des in a moment. But if you want to get in, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. I'd love to hear from you. Um, okay, so Des, should we do some green news?
3: Absolutely. Okay,
2: we got the green news report. Desi is, of course, the uh, my co-host and the managing director of the, is that what, it, managing producer? Managing your, editor. Managing editor. There you go.
3: Of the Green News Report. Of the
2: Green News Report. Heard on fine progressive radio stations uh, across the country, and you can uh, also hear it at greennews.bradblog.com. So uh, our latest Green News Report here, we're going to play this, and we're going to come back with an update because we've now got new news uh, concerning the Keystone XL pipeline. Here's your Green News Report.
4: You're probably looking in the field. From Montana to to Houston, I know in the hundreds, certainly not in the thousands.
3: The owners of the pipeline confirm the Republican Fox News lie about Keystone XL jobs. The Italian cruise ship crash now threatening to become an environmental disaster. Nigeria's newest offshore oil catastrophe. Plus, we
1: do not have any coastal or shoreside infrastructure. We do not have a seasonal base to even hangar our aircraft or to sustain our crews.
3: Nonetheless, it's full speed ahead for drilling in the Arctic.
1: All of those stories and more straight ahead.
2: From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman.
3: And I'm Desi Doyen.
2: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. But well, the thing, sure, you got to remember about greens is that they love animals, but they hate people. No, we don't. We just hate liars. Jonathan Hainig of Fox News, you're a liar. But this is your Green News Report. Okay, Des A tragic situation over the weekend in Europe in this Costa Concordia disaster. But there may also be environmental concerns about the story as well.
3: Yes, the Costa Concordia cruise ship crash off the Italian coast over the weekend that has already left eleven confirmed dead, dozens still missing, now also threatens to become an environmental disaster as well because the ship was just hours into its voyage at the time of the crash. It was fully loaded with thousands of tons of fuel, which officials warn a appears to be already leaking into the marine sanctuary where the massive ship is now precariously resting on an undersea ledge. (laughs) We'll have more as that situation develops. But now there are also now two offshore disasters in Nigeria. Just weeks after 1.6 million barrels of oil spilled from an undersea pipeline off the coast of Nigeria, oil giant Chevron announced on Tuesday that two workers are still missing after an explosion and fire engulfed a drilling rig in flames off the coast of Nigeria. Chevron officials say it appears that the fire was caused by a gas kick, a massive plume of natural gas rushing up through the drill pipe, the same cause of the explosion aboard the doomed Deepwater Horizon drilling rig that killed 11 men and caused the BP oil disaster in the Gulf two years ago. Meanwhile, deadly riots in Nigeria are subsiding after President Goodluck Jonathan announced on Monday... President who? (laughs) Yes, that is his name, Goodluck, that the government would restore partial fuel subsidies for its citizens. The riots began after the government abruptly canceled all fuel subsidies on New Year's Day, putting the price of gasoline well beyond the reach of the majority of Nigerians.
2: And it led to riots that started to look like Mad Max out there in Nigeria. Yes,
3: and it appears that Occupy Nigeria operations have succeeded in getting action from the government occupy operations seem to work everywhere but here in the u.s go figure rescue for Nome. A Russian fuel supply ship has finally reached the snowbound town of Nome, Alaska, which has been trapped and running dangerously low on fuel since last November, when a massive historic Arctic hurricane prevented the town from receiving its final pre-winter fuel delivery in what is turning out to be a record winter in Alaska. Despite the situation in Nome demonstrating yet again the difficulties of operating in the harsh extremes of the Arctic, offshore oil and gas drilling is rushing full speed ahead. Oil giant Royal Dutch Shell last week cleared another bureaucratic environmental hurdle to drilling in the Arctic. A federal panel rejected challenges by Alaskan tribes and environmental groups seeking to block Shell from receiving Clean Air Act permits. Arctic drilling is scheduled to begin this summer.
2: Also, as I recall, the U.S. Coast Guard was against the oil drilling in the Arctic. Weren't they saying that they only have... And still
3: are. They only have one icebreaker ship, and it's currently being used.
2: Well, let's ignore them and listen to the companies. What could possibly go wrong?
3: Claims by Republicans and their media echo chamber that the Keystone XL pipeline will create 20,000 jobs or more.
2: Claims like this. The
3: Keystone project would generate 20,000 immediate jobs. It would create at least 50,000 jobs. In total, about 118,000 indirect jobs.
4: 120,000 jobs. Some estimates
2: said could provide up to a million new high-paying jobs. (laughs) 20,000 to a million new high-paying jobs, according to Fox News. You're saying that is inaccurate?
3: Yeah, not so much. At least if you ask the vice President of TransCanada, the company that wants to build the pipeline, here in an interview by CNN.
4: You know, the, the numbers are, you know, literally pummy technicians and such up and down the line. So you're probably looking at, in the field from Montana to, to Houston, um, I don't know, in the hundreds. It's certainly not in the thousands because those are construction jobs.
2: So Fox and the Republicans say 20,000 to a million jobs, but the actual owners of the pipeline say... A few hundred at best.
3: That's right. And as the Natural Resources Defense Council points out, these inflated job claims are actually a bait and switch to distract attention from the fact that the Keystone XL pipeline would actually be an export pipeline enabling Canada to ship oil to China resulting in higher gas prices for America.
2: So very few jobs, and it won't even give us that energy independence from foreign oil that all the Republican candidates have been talking about in arguing for this pipeline? That's right. Wow, I'm starting to think they're a bunch of liars, too. For more on all of the stories we covered today and those we did not have time for, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider a donation to help sponsor the Green News Report so that we can keep telling the truth over your public airwaves. From BradBlog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Tell
3: me, tell me sweet little lies. lies.
2: Yeah. So, lots of lies there,
3: huh? <laughs> Just a few.
2: That's amazing to me, the fact that that, that Fox News montage, uh, what was it? Up it's to 20, a million jobs. 20,000, 100,000 jobs, up to a million jobs, and TransCanada, the owners of the pipeline say,
3: um... No, it's
2: more like a few hundred,
3: right? Right, and at most, totally six thousand. I think construction jobs, so those would be temporary, you know, six months or so,
2: right? At and, best, uh, yeah, at best. So, but yet the lie continues. It, it's out there, and uh, I saw Boehner tweeting it today. By the way, you can tweet us at the Brad Blog. Uh, that's our uh, our handle there, the Brad Blog, and uh, you can reach Desi if you like at Green News Report. If you want to get in on this uh, conversation, eight one eight nine eight five five seven. Three that's eight one eight Nine eight five KPFK. Okay, so we've got some breaking news on this uh, on the Keystone uh, Pipeline yes. now. This was added to explain how this was added to. Uh, what was it the payroll tax right, cut at exactly. the end of the year? Exactly.
3: So today, this is a big thing. That today, mm-hmm. the Obama administration announced that they will not approve the Keystone XL pipeline from Canada. That was after congressional Republicans last month inserted a rider into the payroll tax cut legislation. Remember, they were like, "Oh, we we." We have to – we won't do anything until we get this payroll tax cut legislation done. They would accept no compromises except this one of uh, delaying – forcing the president to make a decision on the Keystone XL pipeline by February 21st. And it appears, uh, depending on who you talk to, that this decision by Obama to reject the Keystone XL pipeline from Canada – is backfiring on the Republicans. You know, by inserting this into the uh, the payroll tax cut legislation, they were trying to force him to make a decision. And the president made very clear at the time that the State Department very clearly said, if you require a, a deadline, an arbitrary deadline coming up this fast, that we will not be able to complete the required environmental reviews. Required by law, by the way, because the TransCanada uh, company had their original route for the pipeline was going to go, over an aquifer in Nebraska, the Ogallala Aquifer, and the Sandhills region, which is an incredibly environmentally sensitive area where if there had been any oil spills at all, it would have poisoned the water. Where,
2: by the way, the Republicans in Nebraska... The ne- Nebraska had, State
3: Legislature, yes. The
2: Nebraska State legisl- Legislature and the governor had both... Uh, they were against this. Uh, in in Nebraska, these are Republicans. Now, you say, uh, Desi Doyen, that... The effort backfired here because it sort of forced him to uh, – enforce the State Department to reject the Keystone XL pipeline. Because there
3: simply isn't enough time. But on this announcement that the White House made today, they will allow TransCanada to reapply for a permit. To, so they will be allowed. It's not right. done forever. It's just done for now. Oh, They'll right. reapply with is, the new route established.
2: My point is I'm not sure that this has backfired in that their right. hope – was you know they don't give a damn about this. They know it's not going to bring any jobs. They know it's not going to bring any oil. Uh, they you know they may want their their corporate uh, pals to uh, get a whole bunch of money out of this. But this was about election year politics, right? It they does want to make a... his hand to run around right. and say Barack Obama is against jobs and energy independence. Uh, if if only we worked with Canada, we'd be able to avoid avoid foreign oil or that's what, what was it other that Rick Perry? Yes, that, that you know
3: that, that this will give them a nice is little
2: not a foreign oil apparently.
3: Right, it's not a foreign country somehow, but that's Rick Perry but talking. But we don't get any of that oil in any case. Right, it's intended really to be an export line right. to enable Canada to ship these uh the dirty oil from the tar sands of mm-hmm. Alberta, which is the dirtiest oil on the planet, to ship that to uh, markets in China and elsewhere. It'll bypass most of uh, most of America. But yeah, it should make a nicely shaped cudgel.
2: A nicely shaped cudgel, like For they the need students, We've yes. got a caller along that line, uh, John in Pasadena. Uh, hey, John, do, do I do this or do you, Margot? Let's see. There we go. Uh, hey, John, welcome to uh, KPFK. Yeah, thank
5: you very much. Uh, the question is simply: Will the oil from Canada going to the refineries and Texas replace oil that is being imported? from countries such as Saudi Arabia.
3: Very easy answer to that, no. What? It will not. In fact, uh, it's basically, as we said before, it's more intended to be an export pipeline. Uh, Canada... I understand that.
5: The question (laughs) is, uh, so those refineries in Texas are running at under capacity
3: right now? Correct. Yes, they are. They're running at under capacity right now, and right now the pipeline that we already have, the Keystone Original Pipeline, which uh, takes a different route from Canada, that is only working at 50% capacity right now. So this isn't really about increasing capacity or increasing uh, access to uh, this oil for Americans because it is going to take the oil away from where it is currently refined in Cushing, Oklahoma, and push it all the way down to the Gulf Coast in Texas where it can be exported. It's not going to make anything different for Americans except very possibly raise our gas prices.
2: Does that answer your question, John?
5: No, No, Uh, Not completely. The other part of the question then, you said that it would raise our prices. If the oil has nothing to do with being consumed in the United States, why would it affect our gas prices?
3: Because right now, when it stops in Cushing, Oklahoma, to be refined, that means there's a glut right now, that that there's an oversupply in the Midwest of uh, the United States. And so when you bypass Cushing and you get rid of that glut then you actually will help to increase prices for Americans in the Midwest because there will no longer be this oversupply there. So it's basically we're talking about all of this oil will go onto the global market where the global market prices will be set. But when you have an oversupply in one location, it does help to lower the prices. This will take away that oversupply.
2: Thanks, John. Hope we uh, hope, hope we cleared that up for you. Appreciate your call. 818-985-5735. If you'd like to get in on this or uh, anything else that happens to be on your mind. Uh, okay. Uh, thanks, Ted. You have uh, explained that smartly.
3: Hope so. Hope that answered Jonathan's question.
2: I think you did. And uh, it's just uh, another big old hoax is all it is. It's a yeah. big old hoax that benefits uh, corporations and Republicans and has nothing to do with uh, helping you or me or jobs. Or, or jobs, what a scam uh, all right we 'll get to uh, some more of your calls in a second, but I wanted to note since we were talking about uh, voting rights in the uh, in the past segment, um, Gary Mitchell of Newcastle, Pennsylvania is a rare example of a public servant in two thousand and two. Mitchell was found guilty of two drug related felonies, but after a reduced sentence and uh, after serving a reduced sentence and turning his life around, Mitchell decided to run for city council. After being open with Newcastle voters about his record, Mitchell and two others were elected to serve, were elected to serve. But because the Pennsylvania Constitution bars any person convicted of an infamous crime, quote, infamous crime from holding office, the state wants to prevent Mitchell from taking his seat. Uh, And he says, I can run, I can win, and citizens can elect me, but the state will not allow me to take the oath. Who runs the law? I thought the Constitution was for the people and by the people, and the people have spoken, Mitchell said. So he is fighting that. He has so far been turned down on appeal. Good question. Who runs the law? I thought you and I did. Oh. Silly me. What do I know? Uh, All right, let's go to uh, Randy in uh, Reseda. Hey, Randy, welcome to KPFK. This is the Bradcast. What's up? Hello. Hello, Mr. Blog Yourself. Uh, Thank you, sir. Uh,
5: Actually, actually, that was um, an apropos um, report that you just made, because what I wanted to um, suggest to you is that you get this guy that named Paul Cienfuegos. Are you familiar with his name? Who? What name? Paul Cienfuegos. Paul Cienfuegos. I think it starts with the letter C. I okay. don't know how to spell it exactly, but yeah. this guy you must interview because this guy is a 30-year activist expert in basically the um, what I will call, he didn't call it this, but what I'll call a local public rights legislative trend, if not movement, kind of like a subtext to what Occupy is, is doing. in yeah. I heard a talk that he gave, and, and this guy is an expert on, in fact, what's happened in various localities to the total of, I think, about 120 thus far in a legislative sense. In other words, local laws being passed um, by um, the people who realize, finally, that if you really want to deal... With the corporate domination of everything, you're going to have to actually kind of like do a um, and run around the, the nature of how they've dominated um, the legal process through the proper personhood process and all that. And, Randy, and, um, what, what, what is this, he calling guy, for? What this guy talks about is something that I've never heard anybody talk about.
2: Right. Period.
5: But I did hear him on KPFK. And I'll tell you how to get in contact. I so
2: far have not heard anybody talk about it. What is it that Paul Cienfuegos is calling for, Randy? It's not that he's calling for anything.
5: He's basically an expert in the fact of what is being done in local, um, in, in, like you know, local towns, and, and yeah. co- actually the largest place that he referred to was Pittsburgh. But what they're doing. Like the thing you just described as far as an environmental issue, let's say someone has an environmental issue and they want to deal with it and they they decide, well, this is our issue, we've collectivized our efforts to, to fight this problem that the corporations have created, so what are we going to do, sue them? Well, that doesn't work anymore. So what they're realizing is that in order to get you know a success, they're yes. going to have to have a different type of legal strategy, and that's what he's an expert okay. in. Okay, got to talk to. I'm going partner. to
2: have to look him up because I still don't understand exactly what it is, but I, w- I will try to well, look him up.
5: That's why I'm into rec- rec- it. All right, it. So All I'll right. tell you
2: who you contact. Thanks.
5: Contact the people at Alternative Radio, namely David Barsamian.
2: Okay, Alternative Radio. Thanks for the call, Randy. I appreciate it. Uh, let me go to. Uh, uh, Alan, also in Reseda. let's see. Now, Alan, they have extended my show to one hour. However, um, we're still going to have to keep our uh, phone calls down to, let's say, a minute or two. Unlike uh, your 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 neighbor there in Reseda. What's up, Alan? Well, hey, how you doing today? I'm
1: okay.
5: Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'll make it quick and I'll take my answer off the air. Okay. Um, I'm not a very adept uh, at politics, and I'm wondering. I, I hear things about President Obama that his policies and or proceedings make him appear worse than George W. Bush um, and as a moderate or a Republican instead of a Democrat. Could you explain why people view him in that way? Thank
2: well, you. Oh, oh, well, hang on, Alan. Are, are you still there? Yeah. Man. Okay. Uh, I, I think a lot of people – What when I hear people say that, um, and, and frankly one of the few places that I think you could justify that thought – would be in his foreign policy. Uh, yeah, he's gotten the the troops out of uh, Iraq, but frankly, he wanted to leave them there. He was forced to do that. But when it comes to uh, foreign policy and civil rights, uh, George Bush, uh, to my knowledge, never put an American citizen on uh, an assassination list and then assassinated them as Barack Obama did with Anwar al-Awlaki. And I also think the fact that you've got Democrats essentially, uh, agreeing with most of the horrible, appalling, unconstitutional, criminal, uh, policies of George W. Bush, when a Democrat does those same things, it basically, you know, gives the thumbs up to them overall. Does that, does that make sense as far as why, uh, some people see what Obama is doing is worse than Republicans?
5: yeah it does in that context
2: okay yeah i thank you yeah, you bet, and uh frankly uh you know there are also places where Obama has pulled back some of the horrific policies of the uh, of the Bush administration. Uh, So he's, you know, due credit there, but no, you know, I I don't think, as far as I know, in any case, I don't think uh, George W. Bush ever targeted a U.S. citizen for assassination and then assassinated him. Uh, All right. uh, Well, we're going to talk a little bit in the future. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about the recalls up there in Wisconsin, where now one over one million signatures have been uh have been turned in in that recall effort and i should also note by the way that the democrats have also put in petitions for uh the lieutenant governor rebecca cleefish rebecca she'll also be facing a recall as well as four state senators three of them targeted by the democratic party the other one senate majority leader scott fitzgerald who was thought to be in a very safe district up there uh it was one woman laura compass of recallfits.com who said, well, the hell with that. I'm going to target him, too, because I think he stinks, and I don't care if it's a Republican district. Uh, this is my democracy, and I'm going to start gathering signatures. And she did, and in fact, it looks as if she has enough to put uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Scott Fitzgerald also on the ballot up there, uh, in the recall ballot up there in Wisconsin. We'll be talking about more of that, of course, in the weeks ahead. And I should also note, that, by the way, this Saturday... It is the South Carolina primaries, and uh, when the uh, when the results come in at the end of the day, keep this in mind, that they will have been 100% unverifiable results. You will have no idea if any uh, machine, any vote, was actually casted as per the voter intent, just as we saw back in 2010. In, uh, in South Carolina, in the Democratic primary, when uh, Democrats are said to have elected Alvin Green, a guy that nobody ever heard of, t- to be the nominee for the U.S. Senate, instead of the guy who had actually campaigned, who had a campaign website, who had actually campaigned around the state, that would be Vic Rall, uh, all thanks to 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting machines that they're going to use across the entire Palmetto State on Saturday. Cool, huh? So whatever those results are, no matter how crazy they are, even if I win, don't laugh, Desi, even if I win the South Carolina primary on Saturday, no one will ever be able to prove that I didn't win the South Carolina primary on Saturday. And, and by the way, did you see that Stephen Colbert is telling, uh, reminding people that if you're a Democrat or an Independent, you can still vote Saturday. He wants everybody to vote for Herman Cain, As if it was a vote for Stephen Colbert. Do I have time for another? uh, What do you say, Dick? Yeah, I think so. All right, who do I got? Give me a a ticket. Oh, here we go. Let's go to uh, Pascal in Santa Barbara. There we go. Pascal in Santa Barbara. Hey, Pascal, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind, sir? Oh,
5: thanks for taking my call. Well, that should be Pascal. About the oil. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, supposedly that's a huge uh, amount of uh, shale oil Mm -hmm. up there in Canada. How come I've never heard anyone say, why not build an oil refinery up there and then ship it some other way?
2: Good question, and And I'll have another minute or two here on the show, so let me uh, get to Des, because I know Des has an answer. My second
5: part of the question was kind of important. Do you think there's any secret idea of land grabbing that they want to build the pipeline all the way through the center of the United States? Do you think there's a trying to disrupt the economies okay. and, and gain land in that,
2: in a kind of a unscrupulous manner? Interesting uh, question, Pasquale. Uh Des, what do you think?
3: Uh well I would answer the second one first. Uh I don't see any evidence of mm-hmm. there being a land grab or any attempt to disrupt the US economy in any way. I think it's strictly Canada trying to uh maximize their export capabilities and the amount of money that they can make off of the Alberta tar sands. Um, and your first part was why won't they build refineries in Canada? I believe that they do have the capacity um, at the tar sands themselves to refine some of this oil and be, make it uh, possible to transport via pipeline, but they still run into the difficulty of how they can get the rest of it out. They still need a pipeline, because otherwise their only option is to take it out via tanker trucks and trains, and that's still not going to be the kind of volume that they're going to want to go for. All right.
2: All right. Listen, i got to get out, and we didn't, did not get to all the callers. My apologies uh, to those folks who are still online. However, the good news is... We'll be back next week, same Brad time, same Brad channel, with a full hour on your public airwaves right here on KPFK, on the Bradcast. My uh, my thanks tonight to, uh, of course, Desi Doyen. Way to go, Des. Thank Good you. Good job, producer Desi Doyen. Associate producer, Margo Paez. Thank you, Margo. Great to have you on board. And our engineer tonight was Federica Garcia. So thank you, Federico. And uh, my thanks to my guest, Deborah. Vegans of the ACLU. Alright, we will be back next week. As I said, 3 p.m. Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Wednesdays. Hope you will join us at that time. Uh, South Carolina is coming up Saturday, so if you want to find out what the hell that mess is about, please stop on by my blog. I am Brad Friedman. My blog is bradblog.com. You can also Twitter me at the Bradblog. We'll see you next week. Friday.